Hello and welcome listeners. Thanks for joining us today. You are tuning into the Story Screen Presents podcast on the exclusive content feed called The Colette Stuff, where my guest, Mike Burge, and I talk about all things Tony Colette. We've been combing through her filmography, getting into television very soon, but mostly film so far. I'm your host, Bernadette Gorman-White, and if you've already listened to the other three episodes of The Colette Stuff, thank you very much for doing so. If this is your first time and you're hopping in for episode four, we're going to get into some pretty crazy stuff. I think this is probably going to be the saddest episode that we do of The Colette Stuff. I feel like this was all very sad. But Mike Burge, how are you doing today? I am great. I am sleeping uh, enough uh to make me healthy um i'm definitely eating all of the correct foods that you're supposed to eat to maintain health um just overall uh pretty much the healthiest person in the world right now both physically and mentally so no complaints honestly how about yourself man you're really convincing me here Mm -hmm. (laughs) i i feel like i am probably the second healthiest person in the world then right of course so because I can't take the spot away from you. You're the uh, you're the the second uh, uh, purse scholar in the world. Oh, yeah, yeah. Of course, we'll, we'll get into that. Perfect. I don't know. I had never heard that line before in Little Miss Sunshine, and when I heard it today, I was like, "What's that? <laughs> what the hell is that?" So there we are. Yeah, yeah. My my opinions have somewhat changed, but we'll we'll get into this for sure. So yeah, listeners, uh, we are getting through a whopping 10 films in this podcast. So we are doing uh, a bunch of movies today. We're starting with The Hours, and we're ending with Little Miss Sunshine. Little Miss Sunshine does fall in the middle of these films, but since it is the episode highlight, we're going to discuss it last. But uh, we're also finally getting to talk about Diana and Me. Which is something that would have been a couple episodes ago, but Mike Burge had to hunt it down, and hunt it down he did. We've seen it now, so we're going to be talking about that movie too, which is a throwback to 1997 when that film was released. Mm. 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 1997, mm-hmm. big year. Mm. Yes. For, for people named Diana. Yes. Unfortunately. Uh, very excited to talk about that one. Yeah, I'm, I am excited to talk about uh, this group of films um, because I think they are very interesting and some of them were very surprising to me. Mm. But uh, yeah, without further ado, Burge, I think you are going to be introducing the first film that we're speaking about today, The oh, Hours. Yes. The Hours. Uh, surprisingly, a movie that I had not seen um until this watch it's one of those big oscar guys that i just never got around to i think in 2002 you know i was like a little shit kicking 16 year old everybody's making fun of nicole kidman's nose and i'm like yeah screw that movie i'm not gonna watch it so i never watched it um uh I'm also, when I was younger, I was a big anti-Meryl Streep kid. I was kind of like, I don't get it. What's the big deal? She's she's just fine. I was really cool. I was like so cool, so smart. Sounds Um, like it, man. Now she's like one of the greatest things in the world. I live and breathe Meryl Streep in movies. 
Um, but it's also a big one. I'm recently trying to catch up on all my Julianne Moore's. Um, yes. Uh, and uh, Julianne Moore is phenomenal in the hours. She's uh, the best part. Yeah, it's, I think. it's great. Her and John C. Riley are just electric um, in like the, the few moments that they do get together. John C. Riley just owns every tiny little moment that he's in. And this is, you know, this is like the, um, the Riley sense of like, you know, 1999 to 2005, where John C. Riley was just like, oh, I'm going to work with all of those talented directors. And he, and he did. And it worked. Uh, and he got nominated for an Oscar. Yeah, um, when he saw it, he was like, John C. Riley, he's yeah. he's being serious. And I was like, dude, he was a serious actor before he was like the crazy Will Ferrell, John C. Riley version yeah. that we know today. So, I mean, it's really wild to think about John C. Riley's character in Magnolia and then put that right next to Steve Brule. You're just <laughs> kind of like, that's not the same guy. That's not the same dude. He's no, he doesn't. Yeah, he's an actor and he's good. He's good at his job. Um, but The Hours, 2002, directed by Stephen Daldry of Billy Elliot and The Reader fame. Um, it is about, uh, it's kind of like, uh, it's a really fun adaptation of Mrs. Dalloway. Uh, it's interesting. It's it's a fun way to kind of do what you would kind of do if you were like, it's kind of like adaptation in that way where it's like, it's not really a movie about the orchid thief. It's a movie about kind of the making of the orchid thief and the writing of it and stuff. So it's like adapting a Virginia Woolf story while showing how she's writing it. Someone just reading the story and then kind of like an interpretation of that story set, you know, 60 years or so after it was written uh, with just a powerhouse of actors. Uh, it's, right. ve it's very cool. The whole movie is sad. Um, it's about noses. I think <laughs> uh, everyone has a great nose in this movie, even if they're fake. Um yeah. It is a it is a movie about how people, uh, mainly women, are um, expected to be certain ways and expected to do certain things based on just what the system is, what their jobs are, what their lot in life is, who they are married to, who they're not married to, uh, and just kind of the pressures of being a person in in the world in these uh different time periods and there's a fun generational uh thing going on in there too ed harris knocks it out of the park and like what kind of just like a role that's kind of tailor-made for his talents uh i really liked it the hours is a fun movie um it's very sad it's not exactly one that you uh want to pop in and have a good old time on a sunday which is what i did oh no <laughs> um but what what'd you think of the hours um, I have seen it before. I had watched it back in college for fun, not for a class, uh, just to see it finally. Good old goofball hours time. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. um, I had heard really good things. And I will say, I think the, the movie is written in such a way that still like provided shock for me. There's a twist towards the end where pieces start to fall together and I'd forgotten about it. And so I think that twist is executed pretty well. Um, when the characters really start to come together at the end of the film. Um, I do think the Julianne Moore, um, like, middle century storyline is the best and most compelling. 
I think it's an interesting way to show a marriage that simply isn't working because the woman has been forced into marrying a man. I really love that John C. Riley's character isn't mean to his wife at all. He's like very doting on her. Um, I don't know if it's manipulative or not, but it seems like it's not. Yeah, it seems I, like he genuinely this, cares for her. I get that he's just kind of, uh, he's just kind of a, a, a aloof. Man. Yeah, yeah, he's just kind of like he doesn't fucking stop to think about it. And John C. Riley is perfect at that kind of <laughs> yes. stuff, which is why you're like, is he doing this on purpose? You know, he's doing like his whole like you know Sesame Street thing. So yes. you're just kind of like. Is he is he on board with this or is he just trying to genuinely be a nice guy? And I agree with you. I think he's like him reacting to the cake is like the sweetest, coolest thing in the world. He's like, yes. oh, this is great. <laughs> um, but I think my one issue with the film is I think it is too heavily scored. Mm. I think the score really takes over the film in a way that is not good. Um, mm-hmm. It kind of makes me want to distance myself because I'm feeling the human emotions that I'm meant to feel. And I feel like the music is trying to guide me to yes, those emotions that is, or reinforce that is, the emotions. You, you are summing up my uh, negative criticisms of Philip Glass to a T. Yes, I love so Philip Glass a lot, but I think sometimes he he needs to chill, chill out, dude. You need to chill out. You need to calm down. I get it. It's sad. And he's just like, no, let me shh. I want you to hear how stern it is. And I'm like, Philip. Yes, that's enough. I don't know if it was necessarily him or him and the director not having a clear line of communication or the director not knowing, like, to also chill out with the music. Very true. Um, but yeah, so that's like my one main issue, which is a bummer because it's kind of an affront at the very beginning of the film. It's hard to tap into the film, I think. It's a pretty, it's a, it's a good theme too. I think it's, it's memorable. It, it hits real quick, but it's, it's that thing where it's, it's used very repetitively mm-hmm. over and over again. It's going up, it's going down. I'm just like, I get it. I know, I know it's sad. Julianne Moore is crying. I know <laughs> that it's sad. I get it. Yeah. But again, uh, so Julianne Moore's uh, little section of the film her predominant scenes. Um, that's where we get Tony Collette's character. Yeah. And Tony Collette is on screen for maybe what would you say, like four minutes? Felt like minutes. an eternity for me and because it was great. It's it's the best scene in the film. She's it's it's one thing to be doing a podcast about Tony Collette. Obviously we like her, so she's gonna be our favorite thing in a lot of stuff. Uh in a movie that's filled with great performances, Tony Collette just absolutely slam dunks the shit out of the one scene that she gets right she's only in one yeah she doesn't come back she's talked about again obviously because they kind of wrap up her her little arc with julianne moore's character's arc it's insane i uh at first because she's doing like three things at once too and you don't know she's doing three things at once until she's done doing everything and you're like she's been doing three things at once this whole time it's it's insane um i absolutely love it it's one of my favorite things I've ever seen. It's, it's, I was just like, oh man, she's doing great. Wow, that's fantastic. Oh my God, this is so sad. Whoa, she's acting. You know, like you're just like, it's just so impressive to see her do her thing when she's really let loose and just tapped in. Right. Yeah. Full on agree. And of course, like the costume design and the set design in this movie, it's very good. Um, I enjoy those aspects of it as well. But yeah, it's it's a good movie. I don't know. 
uh, removed from like its Oscars wins and all of that craze. I don't know if it's that good, but I still think it's a mm. very good movie. It's an Oscars movie for sure. I can see yeah. how it got, you know, they tossed all the awards, nominations and stuff at it. It's one of those things where it's like, all right, Nicole Kidman won an Academy Award for this. They never win for the thing that they should, you know, but that's fine. Give it to them. Sure. Sure. You can have it, Nicole. <laughs> you did good. Yeah. Yeah. She deserves it for Eyes Wide Shut or that's probably what I would give it to her for. Yeah. I don't have a clear cut answer for that, but I can think on it. Yeah, it's a, <laughs> Nicole Kidman's got a weird career because like it, this is kind of like in the midst of like, you know, just like really hitting big and huge. Like she's been she's big in like, you know, throughout the 90s and stuff, obviously. But this is when she's just like, oh, like and they're and winning the award, not even just getting nominated, kind of sweeping all of the award seasons with this movie just really kind of catapulted her. But this is also, I think, around the time that the breakup would have happened, too. Right. This is. Or at least when uh, they were probably already broken up before this, because I believe Eyes Wide Shut was 99 uh, or 2000. I think you're right. And they broke up shortly after that movie released or was shot. But I think the Katie Holmes thing happened in like 2002, 2003, because I feel like that's the age where I was at. So and I always link that up where it's like, you know, Nicole Kidman kind of like faded away for a little while while Tom Cruise is out there just being a little monster man. <laughs> yeah. um, and then Nicole Kidman kind of came back and was like, I am, I am like a, like a butterfly now. I am reborn thespian actor, Nicole Kidman. Kidman. <laughs> yeah. Cause I, th- I think uh, Moulin Rouge happened not too much longer after the hours. I think don't have a clear. Oh yeah. When that came it's gotta out, be but... like 2002, 2003 for Moulin right? Rouge. Yeah, so yeah, she she came back in a big way for sure. Oh no, Moulin Rouge is two thousand one because is Moulin it? Rouge is is uh, one of those just before nine eleven kind of things. Um, oh yes, where it was like uh, I can't remember. It either came out right before or it came out right after. So it was like, but it was a thing that was like playing. I want to see the exact. Uh, it came out June first, two thousand one. So oh, wow. it came out the summer before 9-11. I remember that being a big deal because it was still playing in theaters throughout. And it was kind of one of those big things that it was like, go to the movies. Ha 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 ha. Try. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of Moulin Rouge, too, is uh, we got uh, What's-His-Faces in uh, Richard Roxburgh is in um, one of the movies we're going to talk about later who plays the Duke. And Richard Roxburgh oh, yeah. has been showing up in a movie for all of the different miniseries that I'm in. He popped oh, weird. up in an 8-Bits one. He popped up in a Carpenter one. He popped up in a, a bunch of Christopher Plummer ones I was doing with Rhea. He keeps popping up in movies randomly where I'm like, he's going to be, uh, I think Tony Collette is in an episode of Rake that we're going to have to, wa- that we're going to have to watch. <laughs> like we're being forced to do it. Uh, Cause Rake is his show. Okay. So that's fun. Yeah. The, it's- the Duke. It's so weird how all of these actors are just like constantly just weaving in and out. But yeah, do you have any last thoughts on the hours? Uh, no, man, let's keep it rolling. We got a lot here. We can keep kind of, cool. I think that was a good amount of time spreading on one of the bigger ones that we got here. Yeah. And I mean, again, she's not in it for long, so we touched on it briefly. 
Cool. Well, I'll go ahead and explain this next film. Please do. Uh, released in 2003. It's titled Japanese Story. And Tony Collette stars as a person who is a geologist who also happens to work at a tech company. And they don't really talk about that so, so much as to, like, why those two things intersect. Um, but she lives and works in Australia and is told that there is a Japanese businessman coming from Japan who is going to become an investor in this company at this uh, dig site where they're mining. And she is also sent to be his guide slash also try to get the dig site company to invest in the technology that her company creates and the software. Um, and so she's really just there because no one else can do the job. And she's very angry. <laughs> like At the beginning of the film, I really hate jumping into a movie and the character is just angry. That was kind of a hurdle for me to get over. Um, but while she is guiding this businessman around who doesn't speak a lot of English, it seems at the beginning, he starts to learn English. They start to get along better and better. And then they kind of go rogue and they have a situation, high stakes situation where they could die and they get out of it. And through that trauma bonding, they start to have a romance that is cut short unexpectedly. And then the rest of the film is dealing with the grief of that tragedy, which we'll get into here in a bit. But this is uh, one of the films that Tony Collette had the most work to do yes. on this episode. Um, she's pretty much in every single scene. I think this movie is really interesting. You don't see a lot of films like this. Um, the way it turns is pretty incredible because usually a turn like that doesn't happen or it's kind of like used as a joke. Um, but I do think the trauma bonding and the incident that takes place within the film reinforces, I guess, the fact that these two characters are falling in love. But to me, I didn't feel like they were really falling in love, right, which was yeah. a little little bit like heavy handed and like, oh, these characters like each other now. It's like they don't have to like each other. <laughs> they mm -hmm. can just be having sex on this road trip. That's also fine. Right. Because yeah, people I mean, can just do that. And that that's kind of what I was getting okay. um, from that was like my assumption. And then, you know, cause I'm just like, I don't know what this movie, I thought I knew what this movie was. And then as you say, like it turns very hard uh, halfway through. And I was just like, wait, what? Like, I don't know what to expect from this movie. Now it had been my assumption. And then based off of, you know, the ending uh, with um, the letter and stuff, uh, it, it, it was my interpretation that it was kind of just this like, fling of fancy thing that both of them kind of understood, but were not communicating to each other, like being honest with one another while they were actually talking. They were just like, they were always honest with each other when they were just doing stuff, When it, whether it was, you know, hiking, swimming, uh, having sex, doing all of that stuff. And I was, I was kind of interpreting it as like, both of them are kind of closed off for one reason or another based on culture or based on the fact that she's a woman in a primarily, uh, male driven job um mm -hmm. and she kind of has to be a little cold and icy and standoffish to be able to kind of not be pushed around and that these two people kind of unlock for each other in these intimate moments um whether sexual in nature or not um 
And that's kind of how they communicate. And it's that's what I thought the movie was doing at first. And then it becomes this thing about just like, how do we, how do you measure the importance of a person to you? And how do you measure what your feelings are to them? What do your feelings actually matter about somebody if they're not given enough time to grow and develop? Um, it's an extremely interesting thing that uh, I haven't seen in a movie before. I'm sure there are other movies like it. Uh, this one uh, took me for a ride. I was, ex- I told you I was expecting to press play on this one, get maybe 45 minutes into it, feel sleepy because it's stupid, and then go go take it, go to sleep, get up in the morning, finish it up, and it just had me from like minute 10, just like hooked, and I was up until like three o'clock in the morning, really healthy. Um, <laughs> watching, just watching the hell out of this movie. I, I really enjoyed this one. Yeah, it does seem like we tend to judge our relationships and our relationships seem to have merit in how we discuss them and how we share them with the others. And yeah, how can you define or quantify the meaning meaningfulness of a relationship if no one else is shared in that relationship with you. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, the fact that they had this friendship, this whirlwind friendship that takes place almost behind closed doors that no one is bearing witness to at the end, she was like, but it was real. It wasn't a dream for me. And I think everyone else, because they weren't around while this friendship was growing, uh, they just have no understanding of their friendship or yeah. relationship. Like how, so how cold her partner is talking about the guy because mm-hmm. it's just like to him, this is just a dude that you were touring and now, oh, this is going to like fuck us up and everything. That must have been so traumatic for you to see something like that happen. This asshole, I can't believe it. And she's just like, I don't say anything, right? Like I don't tell everybody what we did, right? Like that wouldn't make any sense. Why would I do that? But it's also like, is that kind of lying and disrespecting him? Is it? What does it matter? Like, there's a lot of like different moral things of selfishness. It's very interesting uh, Mm because I don't think there's a right or wrong way to morally or justifiably do any of these things. And I think Toni Collette kind of brings all of that out so well in her just like in her indecisiveness and her kind of confusion in trying to work everything out. It's it's again, it, it being like the one movie where she very much is like at the forefront. She's like the protagonist of the story, especially in the second half. Um, it's just great when you get to see her just really get to do her stuff. Oh yeah. And I really like her relationship with her mom as well, who cuts out the obits and she has like a scrapbook of obituaries and her talking to her mom who says, well, what's his wife's name? I'd love to send her my condolences. And Tony has that really great scene where she was like, you can't do that. It's a stranger. Mm-hmm. And then she's sad because her mom can't recognize the sadness in her, her own daughter. Yeah. Uh, someone standing right in front of her. So that's a great scene. And of course, the scene in the lake. I mean, you got some prime Tony Collette crying and screaming in, oh, yeah. in a shallow pond. Very sad. Yeah, good movie. I like this one a lot. Uh, Highly recommend it, even though, you know, we kind of are spoiling a lot of uh, stuff without getting, I guess, too specific. But I think you can kind of get the the idea of what we're talking about here. But it's even if you kind of know that, I think it's well worth the watch. It's on Prime right now, at least at the time that we're recording this. It was it's very easy to find. It's no James gang. I'll tell you that. It's a goddamn movie. (laughs) I'm going to get it. We'll get there. 
We'll get there eventually. Well, great. Yeah, I definitely think you're hotter on Japanese story than I am. Mm -hmm. But I, I wouldn't say that I disliked it by any means. Sure. It is uh, very easy to see what the movie is. It's a 2003 little doc, uh, uh, doc, uh, little film. <laughs> it's just, uh, uh, I, w I went in expecting like a two and I walked out with like, oh, that's like a seven or an eight. Like, that's like not bad. That's pretty good. That's that's a little hidden gem that I would share with like someone, uh, one of my artsy friends. Be like, oh yeah, you want to check something out? You should check Japanese story. Yeah, don't watch the trailer. Just Just jump in. Yeah, yeah, no trailers for any of these, I don't think. I Roger, think you gotta just watch it. Roger Ebert loved it in 2003, because I, I watched it and I was like, does that movie slap? I'm pretty sure that movie slaps. Am I just really tired? And I just looked up reviews like from like the New York Times or Roger Ebert back in 2003, and everyone was like, three, three stars, yeah, not bad. And I was like, okay, good, all right, I got this. <laughs> okay, I'm still sane. <laughs> all um, right. Yeah, so next up, right, is, yeah. it, is it me for... Connie and Carla, 2004. Um, this is the type of movie that we're here for, ladies and gentlemen. This is the type of shit that's like, Tony Collette can do anything. She can do the dramatic stuff. She can do the sad stuff, the angry stuff, the scary stuff. But at, at the root of it all, she's an insanely good comedian. She's a very uh, funny performer and physical comedian when she needs to be. And... She lights up this movie. I feel like she should have been nominated for this movie, even though this is not very much an, an Oscars type of movie. I think that the little things that Tony Collette is doing in Connie and, uh, in Connie and Carla is insane. I think her facial expressions, her dance moves, I think she steals the show from absolutely everyone else around her, even though the show very much does try to stay on the side of... Uh, uh, Nia, Nia Vardalos, like it, Nia it yeah, it tries to get on her side a little bit as the more main character. But I am always just much more interested in Tony Collette and her relationship with the dude who played uh, what what Bernardo or whatever in Romeo and Juliet the remake. <laughs> yeah, Ben Benvolio. That's Benvolio. Bernardo. Bernardo <laughs> from from Romeo and Juliet. Uh, yeah, and so. Um, but unfortunately, Connie and Carla is about uh, two ladies who are singers at airports, not doing too great, but they're extremely talented, a little down on their luck, and they witness a murder by the mob, and the mob is after them. So they go and hide out in L.A. and seem to think that there is absolutely zero problems with pretending to be men dressed up in drag and using that to their benefit at a local drag bar slash performance center where they become the talk of the town while they hide out pretending to be drag queens. Bernadette. Yeah. You tell me how to feel about this one, please. <laughs> so I think very surface level, it's very funny. And I don't think they're outright disrespectful towards this community. Um, but I do think it is very, uh, like, skimming the surface of what it means to be a drag performer. And I don't, I think the drag queens who are the performers within the movie, I don't think that they feel like they're being laughed at. I think they're in on the joke. 
I think they're comfortable with the way the movie is portraying the drag scene, especially at the time. Um, I do think it's interesting. The conversation within the film is about why are gay men interested in being drag queens? And they give a very, like, one surface level, like, one side of the die interpretation of why that is. And I, I don't think generally that's what a lot of drag performers these days feel like anymore. Because the description within the film is that they, they feel alive, they finally have gotten to know themselves better by performing in drag. Which is definitely a truth. Yeah. But they almost try to make it seem like maybe it's because they're more of transvestite-minded, more so than just drag performers. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like nowadays it's much more widely regarded as an art form. And within this film, they never once say, like, oh, it's my art form. It's how I express myself. It's more of, this is part of my personality. And... I don't think that's always true. I don't think that's always the case. But perhaps for these specific drag performers and gay men who are in this movie, perhaps for them that is the case. So if it's truthful to their experience, then I really don't have a problem with it. What I do have a problem with <laughs> is uh, I found it hard to root for these women who came into a space that didn't belong to them. Yes. and use it as cover. I didn't like that um, there was that scene at the beginning of the movie where the young girls were performing and of course their peers, their children peers are just rude and calling them freaks because they, they like to sing, sing and dance and they're like, oh, little baby Connie and Carla, they're freaks. And then later on, uh, David Duchovny's soon to be no more fiance um, what she was her calls, name? Was it Megan or something? I fucking I don't like, remember. I didn't like her. <laughs> um, but she calls the drag queens freaks. Yes. And I felt I felt like the fact that they were trying to equate Connie and Carla to women who just happened to like to sing show tunes and the trials and tribulations that gay men endure saying like we're equals here. Like I don't know about that, guys. That's the thing. That's the, I don't like, think so. Guys. I think that I think that the politics of the movie are attempting to be very respectful. I don't think that they're treating drag people as jokes. They're not doing some of the some like it hot kind of bits. And when mm -hmm. they do anything that kind of like you said skirts the line on that, I think that they know that they're skirting the line, and they're just like, look. This is stuff that happens. This, these are jokes that can be made. They make fun of themselves as well. This kind of thing. But I think it's when you start talking about comparing the trials of people, like I get the idea of, yes, uh, dude from South Dakota on Twitter who says, we're all one people. Why can't we all just get along? You know, everybody has issues. Let's help each other out. It's like, yes, you are correct. However, it's a little bit more nuanced than that, Dave234. 6969-420. It's an extremely nuanced situation 
that especially someone like me, a white man, will never fully understand. It's one of the things that interests me the most about it because I like to understand things and have a grasp on stuff. No matter how much I study, how many people I talk to, how many movies I watch, I'll never actually know even like a splinter of actually like what these types of things are. And so the movie, when the movie just so flippantly kind of does that, I was like, the fact that they're using it as a cover and I get it if they were, you know, if they were in drag and they were not women pretending to be this stuff and they could sing and dance like that. Hell yeah. The place would be hooting and hollering and going crazy because it's a supportive community. They, they want to have a good fucking time and they like talent. Like that's what it is. It's just, um, the level of fame that they get out of it is a little crazy where I'm like, look, Tricking like maybe about like the 16 people that are at this bar, that makes sense. But as like more and more people come in, especially as uh, not to be that guy, but as women start coming in, I'm like, they would be able to know. They would they would see immediately. They would be like, wait a second. However, I do love the bit of the shaving cream to kind of hide that Tony Collette is. When, when they, there's a knock at the door and I'm like, oh man, what are they going to do? And then she's just got the shaving cream and I'm like, that's genius. That's, <laughs> that's fantastic. Whoever came up with that idea, I hope that they got paid a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it is a preposterous situation. And also the fact that the women come in and they sing live and all of a sudden they're the most talented people in – that drag community and that drag bar because yes i i understand that their live singing is very good but it just felt like it was also kind of like a smack into the face of lip syncing which is how most drag queens perform Mm -hmm. and it was it was almost like discrediting that talent and the validity of that type of art which i also found a little strange but then i also think uh my biggest problem was the treatment of the david duchovny character who seemed to have genuine feelings for Connie when she was still disguised as a man, a woman playing a man who also dresses as a woman. But then at the end of the movie, it was just so like, oh, it's okay. She's a girl. I just felt like there wasn't a true exploration of David Duchovny's feelings for Connie. Because it seemed to me, it's like, dude, you you are kind of attracted to this person who you do think is a man. And I think you should explore that instead of just being like, oh, it's all good. She's a girl. I don't even have to worry about how I was feeling about that person I thought was a man. It's very (laughs) odd because the movie must know what it's doing. I feel like they're just like, yeah, we don't have time for all that, though. (laughs) You know, like, it's like, that's a complicated, interesting thing. And I kind of like David Duchovny's kind of... It reminded me a lot of Denzel Washington in Philadelphia, where... Denzel Washington is a homophobe in Philadelphia who has to um, defend Tom Hanks, who is playing a gay man dying of AIDS, uh, who's attempting to get uh, retribution for being treated differently because of his situation um, or because of just who he is, not even his situation. Uh, but it, I love how that movie and Jonathan DeMay, the director, is so good at just genuine human empathy where you're just like, this guy is a homophobe and they don't butter they don't like, you know, butter it up and try and make it look nice. Like he is a homophobe. He's not violent or anything. He's 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 not like a psychopath. He's just like, I don't like that. It makes me uncomfortable. Um 
eh, get the fuck away from me, like that kind of stuff. He's very defensive of it. And I kind of like how David Duchovny's character has a little bit of that where he's like, I don't understand, but I want to. And I like that the movie, if anything, is attempting to show straight men that, you know, if you talk to these people, they're not going to try to make you one of them or try to sleep with you or anything. They are uh, usually not attracted to straight men. Um, They just want to have a fun time and they will talk to you and discuss stuff with you as long as you're respectful. I think the movie does a very good job of kind of putting that out there and having this kind of person, David Duchovny, the Connie stuff removed because that's just really weird. But like all of his stuff with his brother played by actual teen heartthrob Steven Spinella, who plays uh, Lyndon Meyer in Virtuosity. Respect. Um, they're all very the, cute brothers. They're very cute brothers. They, they look like they could be brothers. Yeah, I think it's... I think their relationship is really cool. I think it's treated very uh, realistically. I have not been in this situation, um, but I can imagine that, you know, someone who is very comfortable with who they are, but is uncomfortable with the relationship with their family and someone who is uncomfortable and just because they don't understand what their brother is doing and someone who matters very much to them, I think it they treat it with a certain gravitas that maybe a lighthearted comedy from 2003 didn't need or require, but it is there and I appreciate it. Yeah, definitely. It's so funny because when we were talking about this current episode that we're doing, you were like, oh boy, there's a movie coming up that has something that you are into. (laughs) And it was so strange because Connie and Carla was a movie that I wasn't even tracking when it came out. I wasn't really even aware of it until the context of this episode was approaching. And then the day you said that to me, I was listening to a podcast on my way home. And it was uh, two drag queens, Willem and Alaska. They have this uh, podcast called Hot Goss. And they were interviewing Alec Mappa, who is in Cream in Connie and Carla. The duo wow. of pe- peaches and cream. And it was so funny because they were talking to him and they were like, yeah, so what was it like for you after Connie and Carla? And I'm like, oh, Connie and Carla is about drag queens. It happens, man. That's there we the are. movie that Burge was talking about. It is weird. You watch enough movies. I think this is anyone who listens that also maybe does like film criticism or podcasts or anything like that. It is strange that the more you kind of delve your day to day into movies – that they just keep popping up and you keep noticing them. And it's like collecting, like watching movies is like collecting these little tidbits of info where all of a sudden, like I'll watch a movie from 1998 that I've never heard of before, but all of a sudden I'll hear something in it and I'll be like, I remember somebody saying that to me. Someone has quoted this movie to me before, or kind of like in a movie we're going to talk about in a little bit. I have seen that movie when I was younger because I they, there's a set piece and I'm like, holy shit, I have seen this. I have seen this movie before. That's insane. And it all started coming back. So it's, it is it is kind of fun that the more you watch movies, the more they start kind of, all these little ancillary things can start popping up somewhere. Yeah, it's like your life starts to make more sense. Yes. It's weird. But yeah, Connie and Carla, the physical comedy that these ladies are doing, if it was just a show that I had gone to see, hilarious. Yes. Really great stuff. Um. The movie overall conflicted. I'm conflicted. But I don't. I don't need it. 
<laughs> Tony Collette though is fantastic. I think her her moves are spot on. Um, I'm kind of over uh, at this stage in her career. Uh, Tony Collette playing women that uh, people are like calling them fat or something like that. I'm just like I'm kind of over it. Um, I mean, the next one we're about to get to um, is not that, uh, which yeah, is it's like extremely surprising. Uh, it's just really weird because, uh, you know, she was, um, t- with all due respect, she was heftier earlier in the 90s when she was younger than she is now. She was never, I would never say she was fat, but she was definitely heavier than she is now. And I feel like it just keeps kind of going through in certain movies where I'm just like, they'll say like, you got to stop eating, Tony. And I'm like, <laughs> what? What? Why? What the hell? What the hell are you guys talking about? Nia is fatter than her. What are you talking about? Like, I'm I'm getting really defensive and I'm just like, fuck the big fat Greek wedding woman. Don't talk <laughs> to Tony Collette like that. <laughs> yeah, I will say going back to watch Muriel's wedding, I was shocked to see her look like that and i think honestly that's the only movie that she's even looked remotely chubby was muriel's wedding and i feel like that's also kind of part of the story that kind of thing yeah right but moving on from that but i think it's interesting the film i know you're referencing um which we're going to talk about here in a few yeah it is revealed i think in the story why she feels that way about herself yes yeah so that that's interesting but we'll get there yeah, I just, I, I, it kept happening with these things. And also, I, I, you know, I just watched Little Miss Sunshine and that's a big deal in that thing with the whole ice cream scene. That fucking scene makes me, it's, it's an amazing scene. I love it. It makes me so fucking angry because I've seen people talk to people like that. And I'm just like, shut the, shut the, shut the fuck up. Stop doing that. Stop it. And it's just like, so that gets me riled up. And then I was just like, why is everybody making fun of Tony Collette? I don't, I don't like it. She, she looks great. It's Be beautiful. Nice to her. I'm Alan Arkin talking to uh, Tony Collette instead of Abigail Brinson. And I'm just like, you're the most beautiful woman in the world. <laughs> on the inside, on the outside, everything. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, let's uh, get into the last shot. Please. Weird, weird little movie. Uh, the premise of the last shot which also came out in 2004. Um, Alec Baldwin plays an FBI agent who discovers that on movie sets, most often when the Teamsters are like the van drivers, it's usually also infiltrated by the mob who uses those trucks to push their product, which kind of... (laughs) <laughs> well, I get I get the movie, and you're gonna tell us what it's about. To the the inciting incident of this movie doesn't make any fucking sense. They're like I they think- use trucks, and I'm like, okay, and they're like, let's make a movie, and I'm like, all right, I guess that's why we're here for the movie. But like that doesn't make any fucking sense. You guys could have put a little bit more into it, but please, I'm so sorry. That <laughs> no, wanted- the movie starts, and five minutes in, I'm like, wait, that's why they're doing this. I think. <laughs> The only reason that that even remotely tracked for me is because I'm now watching The Sopranos. Sure. And so in The Sopranos, they're waste management, and they also run a lot of – they also have a lot of truck drivers who run their product. So I'm like, I guess this is just the number one thing in mobs. They just have trucks They involved. got trucks and stuff, and they can move <laughs> them around. Trucks are a good thing to have. Trucks. You, know? you can do a lot. 
But yeah, so this FBI agent decides, well, the way I'm going to catch all of these like crime families and all of these high-level bosses is I'm going to fake make a movie so that I get these people driving these trucks for me so I can take them down, so I can get evidence on them so I can get rid of them. And he thinks he's going to get promoted and all these other things. And of course, to do this project, he actually needs to kind of fake make a movie, which is where Matthew Broderick comes in. He's this very hopeful, perfect little sniveling Matthew Broderick, very manipulative, very sleazy. Um, but he, he has his hopes and dreams set on this one movie, Arizona, that he co-wrote with his brother. And he thinks he's getting his big break. And they start to fake make this movie. And in the process, the Alec Baldwin character, the FBI agent, also falls in love with the idea of making this fake movie. Yes. He falls and- in love with the magic of the movies. <laughs> yes. Which I think is very cool. But Yeah. Um, I do think the opening credit scene is one of the worst opening credit scenes I've ever I seen in my life. It. I fucking love it. It's so fucking bad. I'm like, yes. It's so absolutely. bad. Like, that's how I'm going to do, like, the intro credits for, like, our best of 2021. I'm going to do something like that. But that would be cool. Yes, it would. Exactly. See? That's cool. It's not. It's, it is cool. It is cool. If your name was on it, you'd be like, oh, that's cool. It's cool to pay homage to something that's very bad. Yes. It's like it's Tony not Shalhoub, cool to be the bad thing. Tony Shalhoub and Tim Blake Nelson were sitting together at the premiere of this movie, and when they saw the opening credits, Tony Shalhoub like elbowed Tim Blake Nelson was just like, Oh, look at that. Isn't that great? <laughs> and Tim Blake Nelson was like, Yeah, I do agree. It is great. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna go direct O. <laughs> but yeah, Tim Blake Nelson, Tony Shalhoub. Tony Collette plays like the Hollywood starlet. You've got a crazy off the chain Calista Flockhart performance, which was really great. Yeah, really wild. Uh, this is a sh- this is a loaded little movie too. Ray Liotta yes. pops in and he's doing his Ray Liotta thing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this movie is interesting. I like the concept of this film. Um, there are some very funny lines. Uh, the, the line where Alec Baldwin's character, who claims that his wife, Sasha, died of cancer, when it was actually his dog who committed suicide in the hot tub, which is very funny. Very funny. <laughs> but he, he lies and says that he met his wife on set and she did hairstyling for for certain films. Mm-hmm. And he says Jaws and the, the joke about the character wearing the hat was so funny. He was like, was she angry that he wore a hat? It, it's, it, this is a- it, I laughed it, out loud on listen, that, for sure. Is this a good movie? I don't think so. It's no. funny though. It is a funny, funny movie. And like bad movies can still be funny, not even for like the laughability of like how bad they are, but it's just like, no, Alec Baldwin and Matthew Broderick are very solid comedian comic performers like so they can nail this shit and it's kind of cool seeing alec baldwin tap into the thing that he's not going to tap into for a few more years with 30 rock which kind of completely revitalizes his career and this is around the time too matthew broderick is like kicking ass with the producers and stuff so it's it would make sense that these guys would be able to kind of bounce off of each other so well um i just and i like i generally like movies about making movies Movies are my favorite thing, so I like watching them. And then when they're also talking about movies in the movie, I'm like, cool. I'm into that. Yeah. And then Tony Collette. Yeah. She gets to play like the sex pot 
Hollywood actor that everyone wants to sleep with, which is a fun, different take on her. Absolutely. Yeah, it's 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 a very different take than um, what we have uh, seen of her in the past. Yeah. So that was fun. I think it's an okay movie. It is uh, doing some stuff. I think the the set design within the set design within the set design is very fun. I love that you have the Tim Blake Nelson character, who is Matthew Broderick's brother. I love that he and his father are kind of trapped on this Old West set because Mm -hmm. they are an Old West set that just has a scene that they do every Mm -hmm. single day for tourists. That's a fun concept. And I love, too, that the... The scene that they finally shot, the first scene for Arizona, they watched it at the end of the movie, and it is bad. It's bad. And I, lo- and I love that they love it. And they love it. <laughs> They're like, there it is. Let's play it again. I'm like, cool. Play it again, Sam. Yeah. Is the line. Oh, of course Which it is. Which is very funny. <laughs> yes, of course. You have to do it. But yeah, that's pretty much all I have to say about this movie. Yeah, that's it's not one of the big <laughs> ones on here. However... If you'll allow me, I would love to start talking about a very important film. Yeah. Uh, This was supposed to be on, I think, our first episode back in 1997. Um, Diana and me. This movie was very hard to find. Eventually, I tracked down a German DVD copy that I was able to... uh, Cracked the region code on it, and it had English uh, as an option. English, uh, you know, it was uh, the, the entire DVD menu is in German. I understand that German is a language that other human beings on the planet speak, and that just because it's not the language that I speak, um, that does not make it funny. However, I am a little fucking child baby, <laughs> and when I see other languages and I, like on something like a DVD menu, I think it's the coolest funniest thing in the world where they're just like I'm just like oh I, that sounds like uh, that's probably this and you click on it, it's like yep it's chapters fun and then all the chapters are named in German and I'm like I don't speak German this is funny <laughs> it's just funny to me I'm sorry uh, so going through the DVD menu was good for me today um, I was able to find it we watched it uh, the big thing about it. this movie is um, it is about a uh, Tony Collette plays a woman named Diana Spencer uh, who shares the same name and birthday just 10 years later with uh, Princess Diana. Uh, she is from Australia. She goes over to meet Princess Diana on this thing. She meets um, the dude from The Wire, Dominic West, uh, who is a um, dun, 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 paparazzi who will do Oof. absolutely anything to chase after Princess Diana in an automobile several times throughout the movie. And this movie was shot before Princess Diana died suddenly, August 31st, 1997. It was hastily recut and a lot of stuff was removed. Uh, what the British tabloids called in good taste. Uh, I don't think they took enough out. Um <laughs> And this was released in December of 1997. The reason this movie is very hard to find is that nobody wants to buy the rights to it. It only ever got an initial DVD release back in 1998. They have never done anything with this thing. It is very hard to find because everyone wants to forget about it. Because it is uncomfortable to watch. Tony Collette is very good in it, though. 
Yeah, I'm surprised they even released this movie. Why didn't they just cut their losses? I don't. I I think that that's what they were doing is just kind of like, listen, like obviously the opening and ending were shot months after the rest of the shoots um, as they are attempting to fix what they're doing in there. Um, Apparently a bunch of stuff was taken out because I think Dominic West's character was supposed to be a little bit more comical in his aggressiveness of what he likes to do. Um, And obviously you would want to take that out because the very caricature of what he's playing murdered one of the nicest, kindest, most important people in the world for absolutely no reason whatsoever, other than greed and uh, infamy, but pieces of shit. I don't like it. uh, I don't, I don't, I don't like, I don't like how this movie treats it. I understand that it's not its fault that it was kind of poking fun at this thing. You know, you're not supposed to like Dominic West's character. You're not supposed to be like, oh, it's really cool that he's doing all of this. Like his character learns to not do it. However, don't put the movie out. Uh, who knows what type of release this thing got? I'd never heard of this movie before. Uh, it's possible that they just like. Played it in theaters for two weeks, maybe like 20 screens in the world, and then dropped it on DVD to just try and at least recoup some kind of money. And then they were just like, okay, never mind. Let's go. Let's leave. Yeah. It, it's strange that there's a scene where they have to question what they're doing and how it's going to affect William and Harry. And then they released the movie anyway. And it's yes. like there was no thought into how the release of the actual film would have affected William and Harry. It's just like, it just didn't seem like there was a lot of thought. Or there was thought, but not enough. Can we, I, can we also talk about the one moment that the fucking movie chooses to use footage of Princess Diana, like, m- making eye contact with Tony Collette? And it is obviously, it's like one of those things where it's like, in documentaries in the past 10 years where they've taken like still images and they're kind of moving them like a little bit with a fake background and like they put some shadow in there and stuff. It just looks like that, but it lingers on it for far too long where you can see exactly what it is they're doing. And it's like the movie doesn't care. Like the movie's just like, we don't care that you can see that this isn't real. Fuck you. Like it feels like the movie is saying, fuck you. Um, While Princess Diana is smiling at something and I'm just like this is uncomfortable I don't like I don't like this yeah really the only part of it because I do think at times Dominic West was charming and I do think that he and Tony Collette have good chemistry sure. so that's nice to watch but uh, I do like that at a certain point they do have the conversation where the the paparazzi exists because the consumers are consuming that and the consumers are consuming it because the paparazzi are putting it out there to yep. be consumed. Yes. And so I did like that they did challenge that problem. But I feel like Tony Collette's character, Diana Spencer, has more recognition of the problem that that is. And it kind of sours her taste for being so involved with celebrities and knowing everything about them, what they wore on a certain day. She starts to realize, like, oh, I am part of the problem. Yes, absolutely. so that's good. Yeah, I but do. I, I do enjoy that. Yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, again, I don't think it's trying to say like, grab your camera and hunt these fuckers down. You can be rich. <laughs> like, I think it is saying like, this shit sucks. It's stupid, but the movie is treating it comically because 
it's made before the shit murdered the very person that you're doing. Like it's it's it what it's insane that this movie exists. There's so many different things that could happen with this movie. Make it someone else. Right. Make Anyone it else. Someone else. Dub over the Diana thing. Who cares? You can do it, rename it, do something else. Just tr- just try to fuck around. Just do something else. Do someone else. And they don't. And it's very odd. It's odd. It's so odd. It's an odd movie. Very much so. Uh, I'm, I'm liking this timeline for the most part. So I don't want to say I live. I want to live in a different timeline. But the timeline where this movie wasn't released was probably the better timeline. Yeah. And we're stuck in this one. Uh, I'd also like to say... Um, Malcolm Kennard, the guy who plays Mock, uh, is an absolute fucking delight. I want yeah, to watch. He was a lot of fun. I want to watch more stuff that that man is in because I think he was legitimately kind of stealing the show from some scenes that he's in with Tony Collette, and that's very hard to do with me because I was just like, I'm actually kind of rooting for this guy. Like he's he's kind of being a dick, but like I get it. Yeah. Wait, did he just sleep with that person? No. Okay. No. Hold on a second. Like, yeah, it's he's. He's just a very, very funny dude. Like when, when he's getting interviewed by the psychologist, who's like, "Tell me about your relationship with Princess Diana," and he's like, "What the fuck is going on?" Because everybody <laughs> thinks he's obsessed with Princess that he's engaged to Princess Diana just because they have the same name. Uh, fun screwball comedy, fun stuff, and of course, maybe part of the reason that I like him so much is that he's not a fucking paparazzi trying to hunt down Princess Diana. Uh, as much as I love Dominic West um, and do love and appreciate his performance in this movie, uh, it's just a very hard pill to swallow. Um, uncomfortable. Yeah, I agree with you. Well, we did it. We watched Diana and me. It's over. We did it's it. done with. Yep. We did it. Next up is I'll be doing James Gang at some point. I'll, I'll be able to get that and then then we'll be back on track. Everything. Yeah, true. So we are moving right along. We're going to the year 2005 to what might be my favorite movie in this list of movies in this episode, In Her Shoes. I know. I know. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Um, Okay. 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 So In Her Shoes is uh, one of the movies that I'm probably the most familiar with, uh, in Tony Collette's filmography, other than my prior knowledge of Velvet Goldmine and The Sixth Sense and About a Boy, this is probably one of the films that I watched the most with my sisters uh, growing up. I think this movie is pretty solid and uh, one of the first love stories that I've seen between siblings in a very wholesome way. <laughs> Not in a gross, disturbing incest way um, It's that I've ever seen. It's interesting to watch a love story between sisters. I think that is a compelling thing. And I think a lot of films after In Her Shoes tried to replicate it. But I don't think it was done with as great success. But In Her Shoes stars Toni Collette as Rose Feller. She is the uptight sister who has kind of put herself in a box where she just has to be successful. And uh, then you have Cameron Diaz playing her ditzy, uh, very aloof sister who has 
a learning disability. She has dyslexia and she's struggled with it in her entire life. And she's also not good with numbers, but she's always used her good looks to get ahead in life. And she thinks that that is her highest currency um, because that's what she's been told. And these two sisters are dealing with the aftershocks of their mother who dealt with mental health issues, um, who passed away when they were young girls. And it's them trying to renegotiate their relationship as sisters now that they've reached adulthood. And then they also find out that they had this grandmother their entire life who they assumed had passed away. But the father had kept away the grandmother due to the relationship that the grandmother had with the girl's mother. And a lot of unresolved issues obviously culminated in the grandmother being kept secret from her grandchildren. And, uh, like I said, I think this movie is pretty solid. I think it's well-written. I think it's well-paced. I really love Shirley MacLaine as the grandmother. And I think Tony Collette and Cameron Diaz play very convincing sisters. But I am interested, now that I've given it so much praise, um, what you actually thought of the movie. Because it's a pretty, like, run-of-the-mill, uh, I think, easily overlooked film. But I'm interested in what your experience was with it or if you had seen it before or how you feel about it. Mm -hmm. uh, I had never seen it before uh, in its entirety. It's one of those things that was on like Showtime and stuff all the time back in like the uh, late aughts. Um, I was, uh, I didn't, I, I never realized it was Tony Collette in there. I knew it was a Cameron Diaz uh, movie. Um, Cause this is kind of around the time that Cameron Diaz is kind of, um, on her downward trajectory, if, uh, you know, we're talking about peaks and valleys and stuff, um, uh, I, I, I always thought of it as like, oh, it's the Cameron Diaz, Shirley MacLaine movie. I forgot right. completely that Tony Collette was the sister. Um, you know, this is another one where they're just like, you fat, Tony. You got to <laughs> climb the steps with the dogs and lose some weight. Oh, my God, you look good. Now you got a husband. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? Stop it. She looks fine. Um also, Anson Mount uh, playing Todd, uh, who is top build on the IMDb just because it's in order of appearance. Uh, that's very funny. Anson Mount plays Captain Pike on Star Trek Discovery, and he is a snack. Um, he plays Todd, or what's his name? Tid. What's Tid. his name? Tud. Uh, this movie is very good for what it is. <laughs> and what it is is not a Mike Burge movie. Um <laughs> I feel like it's kind of tapping that vein that I like to put the holiday in for me, but it's not the holiday, even if it's got Cameron Diaz. Um, I think it's, uh, I, I don't think that there's anything really bad about the movie. Uh, I think it's a little fucking long, um, which is fine. Uh, these types of movies tend to kind of run a little bit longer than you would think that they would want to do um, just because they'd rather respect the characters than respect the audience's time, which is always a fine thing to do. That's fine. You're um, not wrong. And I, I think that Cameron Diaz is great in it. I think Tony Collette's great in it. Shirley MacLaine, of course, is great in it. She's just showing up, clocking in, doing the work. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's funny. I think it looks good. Um, it's just kind of... Uh, I agree with you that it has they have attempted to replicate this a lot and I've seen a lot more of those movies 
And so when you see the original recipe that you weren't familiar with and you've tried all the imitations, it can feel a little lackluster because you're just like, I've seen this so many times, but this is kind of like where it was kind of coming from, even though it was only like 15 years ago. And even though it's probably not the first thing to really do something specifically what they're doing, it's probably the first one to do it this way, or at least on that big of a scale with these big actors. Uh, it's a good movie. It's it does what it's supposed to do. It's got a great message. I think it's got great performances, even from side characters. I think the dad's performance is insanely touching. Um, it made me cry at the end twice. You know, I care about the characters. When she starts reading E.E. E. Cummings, I'm like, yeah, fuck yeah, that's cool. She's reading it from mem. That's fucking great. Um, and uh, the dad apologizing, saying to the ma- the grandma, I owe you an apology, several in fact. And she's like, it's all good. Like, you're like, okay, this is kind of, I like this. Adults being adults. Yeah, I think they they do a good job, too, of showing these characters struggling with the apologies. Because mm-hmm. I think too frequently movies are just like, yeah, these characters are supposed to apologize to each other. And then they do it. And then everything's like, yeah, we solved the problem. But I feel like this movie feels very realistic in the sense that they know that this is something they're still going to have to work at. Yeah. This isn't like everything's good. Like everyone's still dealing with a lot of trauma, but have finally started to take like the first steps towards solving that trauma. And I like too that the Cameron Diaz character, it wasn't pushed to try to like also hook her up with the man by the end of the movie. I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that Cameron Diaz's storyline was more about becoming comfortable with herself and loving herself rather than finding love in a man. Yeah, I was nervous when the dot when the Me too. The doctor's <laughs> son showed up and I was like, No, don't, 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 don't do this and then they don't and I'm like, Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. And I love the scene too where Cameron Diaz goes to audition for TRL and then you start to realize like, oh, this is what's been holding her back. And she can't read the teleprompter. Um, As much as I really enjoy Tony Collette's performance in this, this is Cameron Diaz's movie. Um, Mm -hmm. I think she does very well. I agree. I think think everybody's good. I think Tony Collette's great. Uh, I love all the dog stuff. (laughs) Yeah. I love a good good dog B plot. So it's good. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'm glad... You didn't hate it, and no, you liked it. <laughs> no, just a fine, a fine film, a fine film. Now, right. the, the next movie we're going to talk about, however, um, you know, there are films, and then there is cinema. Uh, so we're going to be talking about um, this fucking movie, uh, The Night Listener from 2006, um, directed by everyone's favorite American director, Patrick Stetner. Um, it stars... Uh, Teen Heartthrob Robin Williams and Tony Collette and Rory Culkin. Uh, Joe Morton shows up to uh, do his thing for a couple scenes as well, which is always fun and appreciated. And uh, we also got some really good Cannavale action just kind of popping in there. Very um, good. Uh, Sandra O oh is in this thing in a couple scenes for some fucking reason. Uh, Becky Ann Baker plays a waitress. Yeah, it's just like it's kind That's of fun. It's kind of loaded with some really silly shit. Um, it's a very silly, stupid movie. Um, that I I was 
captivated, to I be was, honest. I, I, and this is the thing I want to talk about is that I was very enthralled with it because I think Robin Williams kind of sells a lot of the stuff that he's doing, as does Tony Collette. But when it ended, I was just like, wait, that's the movie? That's it? That's stupid. I'm like, not like stupid in like, it's bad or I need to disrespect it or it's not good at what it does. It's like, oh, you wrote the script and spent all this money on making this thing. And that's the point of it. Like, that's the end. And I was like, that's kind of stupid. Um, I really hated the framing of it. I hated yes, the that's intro the thing. and I hated the ending. And it's just like they didn't know how to start and end the movie. Yes. It was a bummer. Yes. It's uh, it's very cool. It's, again, one of those things where it's like, Tony Collette can absolutely do anything. There's a couple scenes in this where she's a little over the top and eccentric, but I think that's kind of a choice. Uh, who knows? Uh, you know, like the whole scene by the road and stuff like that where uh, Tony Collette plays a blind woman. Um who is who has a son who is uh dying and they are in communique with Robin Williams character who is a um a nighttime talk show host uh where he kind of just tells stories i guess um and people listen to it sure and, and they like it and he's also like an editor uh should be noted, um, you might not have noticed when you were watching it, uh, he is gay, um, <laughs> and he is in in a uh, relationship that is kind of on the rocks with Bobby Cannavale, who um, is also gay, naturally. Um, they're very cute together. Uh, they have a bunch of really great scenes. Bobby Cannavale is one of the strongest parts of this movie, just because Cannavale, Cannavale is going to Cannavale, no matter what. No matter what you put him in. And he's the one who gets to deliver the line that, like, changes the course of the movie. Because, like, up until the point where he reveals, like, I think it's the same person. Yes. I was, like, not tracking that at all. Yeah. That and that was going to be a twist. That's what the movie really kind of lingers on is you're seeing him talk to um, this child played by Rory Culkin. And you're seeing Rory Culkin on the other side talking to him, doing things. And then you come to realize that what you've been seeing is kind of just like Robin Williams' interpretation of who he's talking to, and that in actuality, the Rory Culkin child might not exist, and it might just be Tony Collette, the mother, pretending to also be that so that um, so that she can make money or something. And the, the movie is hooked on – he is attempting to figure out if this child is in fact real. The, uh, the reason he is looked, hooked, hooked up with these people is that he is editing the book – that um, the Rory Culkin character wrote about his um, times in uh, being abused by uh, uh, adoptive pedophiles or something. It was, I don't think it was his actual parents. It was uh, I other, thought they were his actual might parents. Might be his actual parents, and that's know. why he's in the system. Um, wrote a book about it, pretty intense, and you know, and then you start to realize, like, oh, it might have been written by Tony Collette. So he tries to figure it out. Uh, really fun noir stuff in there. Again, I think the movie is pretty cool at what it's doing. Again, like just at the end of the day, when you find out what it is actually doing, again, I think it's just kind of stupid. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I can't think of a better word for it, even though I know that stupid feels a little too aggressive for what I'm trying to say. It's just, um, it's interesting why you're trying to figure out and it doesn't have, it has a very disinteresting uh ending where it kind of just kind of gets rid of everything that you've been watching and it's like well who fucking cares and i'm like 
I care. I was watching the movie for an hour and a half. What are you doing? It also sucks because I watched this on Paramount Plus, which is a dog shit is a dog shit app. And sometimes on Paramount Plus, you cannot pause the movie or rewind. Um, this is what's been what? happening to me. It happens often to me. I have a PS. What? I have a PS4, so it might be its interaction with the app on that console. But sometimes I can't pause the movie. Or I can't rewind because I'm like, yo, what the fuck did they just say? Or cool. I can't fast forward it if like I stopped it the night before halfway through and I want to start it again. I have to let the movie play and roll out while I have a timer on my phone and I'm walking around doing other shit. <laughs> Be like, oh, 35 minutes, time to go down and finish this movie of intrigue. That's not cool, Paramount Plus. Yeah, they got to get their shit together, man. No kidding. But yeah, I I can agree with you. I think the film, especially with the Robin Williams character, who kind of thinks that he maybe helped solve the problem at the end of the film. Obviously, we as the viewers see that he did not solve the problem. And that's when it was like finally starting to get interesting. It was like, oh, this person needs help. And then Robin Williams thinks he does the job. But then it just kind of resumes somewhere else. With a different identity. And it's like, no, this is what I'd be more interested in watching is mm-hmm. the progression of that character. But now it's over. Yeah. So, okay. But I did find it very captivating. And I think Robin Williams is probably one of the best actors who effortlessly plays gay. And mm-hmm. I just think it's incredible. I think he's he's a talent when it comes to acting these roles. Cause I don't think he took these roles with any sense of fanfare either. Mm-hmm. I don't think he was ever trying to like prove himself or show like, Oh, look at what range I have. It's just like so genuine. Yeah. Which uh, is very nice to watch, but it was very heartbreaking because in the very beginning of the film, uh, his coworker at the publishing house says like, we're worried about you. Like, what can we do? And Robin Williams keeps saying, like, I'm fine, I'm fine. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, oof, yeah. that that hurts to watch mm-hmm. now. But yeah. yeah, it was an interesting watch. Fun to get a Robin Williams movie in there. I mean, sometimes that's one of the that's what one of the coolest things about this series that we're doing is is that we get to kind of see these uh, performances from other actors that we really like that we had never seen or quite frankly, in this case, never even knew existed. Hmm. Yeah, I think this movie had like zero advertising. <laughs> right. None whatsoever. <laughs> but yeah. Speaking good, of which, good little weird film. Oh gosh, <laughs> this next movie. All right. So we're getting into. Is it originally called Like Minds? I think and it's originally it's, called Murderous Intent. All right. Originally called Murderous Intent. But it's but then also under Like Minds, yeah. Yeah. Um, You asked me the other day if I had watched this yet, (laughs) and I hadn't, Mm. and I could get the vibe that you weren't a fan, Mm. and then I watched it, and I will say, I am not a fan. Mm. (laughs) Um, It stars Eddie Redmayne. He is a young boy. He's 17 years old. Um, You see that he is being held on charges for murder, and they're trying to pin these charges to him. They're trying to get him to either confess or nail him for these charges, which he was kind of uh, charged with prematurely. And the detectives are backpedaling, trying to pin these murders to him. Uh, You find out that not only 
did one boy die earlier in the film his best friend dies and then a woman that he was interested in also dies and you start to find out little by little what is going on with his character the eddie redmayne character and also this other uh guy who's interacting with him and they're like kind of influencing each other and you don't really know how or why or even care but tony collette is the psychologist who is trying to figure out uh what's going on with eddie redmayne's character and trying to she's basically being used by the detectives to pull something out of him or get her to think that yes he is capable of this so that she can say yes he did it um but yeah this movie is very long and i usually like eddie redmayne and other things but his character is just very insufferable to watch don't you know exactly what <laughs> and he really uh grew into his face so watching him like really young <laughs> It's just like so pouty. And He's very whiny. pouty. I mean, that's he one of the. It's all the stuff that I love about Jupiter Ascending is on full display here, where he's just like, you look, you look wild, my dude, and you're just, <laughs> you are making the active choice to just. I'm like, what the fuck are you saying? Like, it's um. Yeah, this movie annoyed me a lot. This is the movie that I have seen at some point in my life, and I don't know how. But as soon as um, uh, the creepy fucking dead body kid uh, starts taking uh, Eddie Redmayne into his cellar, and I saw like the uh, the Jolly Roger flag, I was like, I have fucking seen this movie. There's a dog. A dog shows up. A dog shows up and attacks them. And then it doesn't happen, and I was like, I could have sworn that I'd seen exactly something like that. Maybe, it, and then I started thinking. I was like, "Oh, maybe it's in like, uh, like the Bones Club or like some weird culty movie that I had seen." Um, and then Tony Collette goes in there again, and I'm like, "This is where the dog is." And then the dog shows up, and I'm like, "Where? How? How the hell have I seen this movie?" And it wasn't like a deja vu thing because it was like, I was like, the dog shows up and gets locked in. And I don't remember anything else about this movie, but it was like one of those moments when I saw the Jolly Roger flag, I was like, wait, what the fuck? I've been watching this movie for like 45 minutes and I don't recognize any of this. And all of a sudden this is like hitting me. It's very possible that I was shown the scene in school because that used to happen all the time where they would just show specific scenes. But I find it very unlikely that this movie would be picked either by a professor or a student to be like, Check out this scene in the basement. Isn't it fucking... Look at it. Like, there's nothing really special going on. I had an experience very similar to that when I watched Tommy when I was in my older age. Like, in my early 20s. Like, the who? Tommy? Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. And the scene with Anne-Margaret, like, in the white bedroom and all the baked beans come out of the TV. I was like, I have seen this. I have seen this as a child. And it just, like, unlocked all of these memories. So Mm -hmm. I know exactly what that's like to be watching a movie and all of a sudden you have like a flashback to, oh, I've seen this. This is weird. Yeah. And this is, of course, this is the uh, Richard Roxburg. This is, uh, he plays the the detective who's, who's on the case. Mm-hmm. Um, Martin t- whatever. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Tony Collette is fine in this. And she's doing, she's doing her kind of thing where she's like, um, I'm the psychologist. Talk to me, kid. And I'm just like, okay, good. It sucks 
Because they're really just like, here it is. This is, parts of the plot will hinge on you, but you really aren't a real person. Like, no. You really aren't a real character, which is just unfortunate. She is a walking, talking, framing device that every now and then gets to kind of act out her own little B-plot of the movie. Right. Um, Who gets like the applause at the end because she wrote a paper and it I felt like they were, like, treating her like a child, almost. Yeah. Like, yeah, look at you. You kind of solved this case, even though everything pretty much fell into your lap mm-hmm. to solve yeah, this case. Uh, I'm just looking at some of the quotes on INDB from this thing. I read once that a third of women study psychology to work out their own personal problems. What do you think? <laughs> so shut the fuck up. Shut up. Yeah, watching self-indulgent, selfish young boys wax poetic on philosophy and meaning of life is just never going to be fun for me. No, but I mean, I love how Tony Collette like kind of tosses it back and she's like, I'm a fucking psychologist. It's like year one shit. What are you t- Am I supposed to be impressed? And he's like, you, you, you don't understand, but you will. You, you, can you, you will. Can you actually... Help me. Can you hear me over there? <laughs> Would you like me to speak up? Too bad. I'm Eddie Redman. I'm, I'm a fucking actor. <laughs> it's like it's like all right, cool. Yeah, no. Yeah, the fact uh, that Eddie Redmayne actually had has like a really cool career now, and I totally. enjoy watching him is surprising coming off of this. Because yeah. watching this, I'm like, this guy should not have been an actor. Right. You can see like the things that he's going to. He's working on the stuff that's going to make him special and unique, and that will get him, like, the fame that he will get. Um, mainly, like you've already said, he's got to grow into that face a little bit more. He's got to get some of the some of the fat off that face and let it kind of – get those cheekbones in there to kind of help out everything, which he has now, luckily. Yeah. His lips look like they're Botoxed in this film. Yeah, he's just, he's got a big – he's got just, like, a big lower face. <laughs> And I think he yes. just needs to he he learns to he learns to duck face it and just kind of ride with that. And this he's he's just letting them hang loose and he's just like, it's going to be fine. And I'm like, OK, it's a little distracting, but like, it's fine. You can look like that. But like, it's a little distracting. It's fine, though. He hadn't trained his muscles yet. No, he hadn't trained yet. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, move right along then. Move oh, right absolutely. Along. <laughs> the next one I'm very excited to talk about. Uh, this is another one that was a little hard to track down. Um, and I think we'll be able to get to reasons why uh, fairly easily. Um, however, uh, that's more an assumption on my part than kind of like a stone cold fact with Diana and me. Uh, we're talking about 2006's The Dead Girl. Um, starring a murderer's row of amazingly awesome women. Pretty much it's all like really cool um, uh, female actors who are just doing some cool work in this movie. Um, It's fucking cool. Uh, I kind of really like this movie a lot. I really liked this movie. I was very surprised. Um, You know, uh, going over the quick stuff here, it's from 2006. Um, it's, uh, an hour and 25 minutes long, praise be. Uh, and it stars, uh, primarily Brittany Murphy as the titular, the dead girl. Um, and it is kind of like a really fun collection of about five or six short films that all focus on different characters that are kind of linked 
together for one reason or another, usually that reason being this dead girl. Um, and it's uh, the very first one is Tony Collette as this person who finds the body and her relationship with her mother, uh, played by Piper Laurie, which is fucking cool. Evil mom 101. Exactly. Piper Laurie once again. Um, and then she gets in a relationship with a uh, a snackified Giovanni Ribisi, who is just like, I've never seen him like that. And he's a, a fucking uh, treat. Um, his arms are just like cut. And he's like doing his creepy Giovanni thing. But he's also like kind of respectful in a weird way. Uh, comes out of nowhere. Um, really wild uh, interpretation. That, uh, you know, I guess we can kind of hone in on the Tony Collette one, because she's only in the first, like, you know, 20 minutes of the movie, 15 minutes, whatever, because she's only in her piece, her chapter, which is titled um, The Stranger. Mm-hmm. Um, but kind of touching on the other ones, too, you know, you get a you get a Marcia Gay Harden uh, performance that is just like, I am team Harden all the way. I want her in every single movie. Very good. Um you get a fantastic uh I, I'm not as familiar with the actress from um the uh the wife segment. Yes. Uh Mary, Beth, like it's Hurt. Mary Beth Hurt, yes. Um yeah. that shit's was, fucking great. I was blown away by that segment. Yeah, it, it's funny that the one that doesn't really have any recognizable look, when you have multiple things in competition and Josh fat fat two thousand five Josh Brolin smoking crack while getting head is in one of them and that's not topping the list good fucking job <laughs> congratulations mary beth hurt you you did the impossible um all of them are awesome they're all great uh the rose burn one is really cool because it's really cool to see a young rose burn kind of like knocking it out of the park back before like i even really knew who rose burn was i can't imagine what she was doing back in like 2006 it was weird to see Bobby Cannavale in The Night Listener and mm-hmm. then see his lovely wife, Rose Byrne. Very this, crazy. Yeah. Very wild. And, uh, you know, James Franco can't be helped. He's he's in movies. I was kind of hoping had, he was the killer, but. Uh. <laughs> I had to rewind it when they were sitting on the swings and he like does this leer at her. Yeah. And it was so funny to me. I had to rewind, rewind it and watch it again. It's so funny. <laughs> Yeah, he's a he's a weirdo. He's a fucking creep show. Um, yeah, I don't know what his deal is. Franco. I mean, I don't know if he's like actually remorseful for the way he's treated women. I don't know. It's yeah. hard to say. I want to believe him. True. Yeah, I think even if he but, is remorseful, I still think creep show is like a good like you know you're doing that you know yeah it's, yeah even if you're like oh shit I didn't realize or oh shit I'm so sorry. Still kind of a creeper, bro. Yeah. It's kind of weird. Um, For sure. And of course, uh, Brittany Murphy headlines the last one, which is titled The Dead Girl, which is um, a powerhouse performance on her part. It's insane. I feel like a lot of people don't realize that Brittany Murphy really had something that she very rarely used because she was primarily a uh, comedic actress. You know, she was in stuff like, you know, Little Black Book. Just married, uptown girls, um, but she is in stuff like uh, like she's amazing in Sin City. She's got a pulpiness that she can kind of unlock that is insanely impressive. 
And I uh, started crying at the end of this movie when she has like her big kind of monologue moment at the end, unaware of where this is all going. But we very much do know. Um, And it's uh, I think that's one of the reasons I like the movie so much is that on the surface, it just looks like another average, ordinary Early aughts kind of pulp fiction e ripoff yeah, kind of mystery thriller kind of thing, and uh, and it hit me. It got me. I was impressed and, by a lot yeah. of performances, and at the end, like it got like you know that single tear, um, which I feel like yes is maybe uh, rightfully so kind of thrown at the Brittany Murphy tragedy of it all, but also. Uh, Brittany Murphy is very good at imbuing this character who has loads of things that you can dislike and not empathize with. But the one thing that she really cares about, uh, which is making her daughter happy, is very easy to side with and get you in the feels. And knowing that she's so happy that she's going to be able to do this one thing, uh, that she's figured it out. Uh, but you know that, that that's not going to happen is uh, extremely sad and uh, hit me out of nowhere. Oh, yeah. Yeah, unless we uh, forget as well, quick shout out to Kerry Washington as well, mm. giving a great performance too. That's and really, right. that's like all of them. That That's all of the ladies in this movie. But yeah, I was very pleasantly surprised. And I will say, this might be one of the few films where I was happy to get away from Tony Collette because her character, it's just so hard to watch a character that, or like a woman that you know is strong play such like a yes. meek yes. character. And I was like, oh gosh, are we just gonna, are we in for like a Tony Collette film where she's just confused and doesn't know anything and is really struggling and meek and timid. Am I going to watch her get abused? Because she she might get abused here in this situation. It was very uncomfortable. Yeah. And then uh, when it switched to another character and then you realize, oh, this is how the movie's going to be. Yeah. We're just going to get these little flashes of these different people involved with this case. I was very grateful. Yeah. Not that I don't think she was doing good work. I think she was doing great work. But it was just like, all right, this is going to be a weird character to have to watch a movie about. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, we didn't have to. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm right there with you. I think it was uh, kind of refreshing because, you know, the movie itself is only it's under an hour and a half. There's about five of these things. They're each, by the very nature of that, are they're each just only kind of like, you know, 15 minutes long or so. So it's, uh, it's very, um, very easy to watch. Mm-hmm. And I... Very good insight into what a lot of people probably deal with every day, sure. um, th- that lifestyle. And I, I also felt comfortable watching it because I believe it was written and directed by a woman. Totally. Which made me feel a lot better. Because, um, yeah, I think there was a film – I'm going to have to look into it um, in this list – that was like written by a woman and i think like the idea was by a woman but it was directed by a man and i felt like that really showed like in, one in, of the like films in her shoes because curtis hansen directed that which i thought was weird but i'm like this is based on a book and it's starring this and it's written by this and then it's just like and the dude will direct yeah, it. it and i'm like okay great it sure. might have been in her shoes yeah, you're probably right, mm-hmm. which is a bummer because it's just like, no, it's a story about women. Just let women tell the story. Yeah. So. But yeah, Dead Girl. 
Surprisingly entertaining. Uh, would watch again. Highly recommend. I would watch that again too. Hard to track, you know, because obviously uh, Brittany Murphy passes away very tragically and suddenly only two, uh, two or three, year, three years later, I think. So mm-hmm. it's one of those things where, you know, this movie was released fine. It's good. It's going around. It comes to like DVD release a year later. And then it's just like, you know, if any streaming channels were going to be picking it up when all that stuff started in 2012 and stuff, any Blu-rays, I think they're just not going to do it because Brittany Murphy is kind of uh, unfortunately infamous for her very early, tragic, sudden and uh, mysterious death. And it's called The Dead Girl and it's about what killed Brittany Murphy. And that's kind of the thing surrounding her actual tragic death. So I can see how maybe they maybe want to be like, we don't have to put this one out there so easily to grab. But so it's not available for streaming really anywhere uh, it's hard to track down, but I was able to find one on eBay for relatively cheap. I think it was only 10 bucks. Um, you just got to kind of know where to look for these certain things. But uh, if you can get yourself a copy, I highly recommend grabbing it and loaning it out to some friends and checking it out. Because I, especially if you like stuff like Pulp Fiction or early aughts kind of like mystery thrillers, I think you're going to like it. Yeah, it kind of gave me um, seven vibes. Perfect. Too, yep. It's got that it. grungy kind of feel to it. Yeah. All right. Well, are you ready to get into the last one, the I'm headliner? So, I'm so ready. I, I'm curious because I think my opinion on this film has changed. Mm. But uh, obviously, you clicked on this. You know why you're here. Uh, we're going to talk about Little Miss Sunshine, uh, the little indie darling from 2006. It is uh, before the night listener in release, but of course, we saved it to the end. It is the final course. But I don't think Little Miss Sunshine needs a lot of description because I feel that it's a, it was a fairly well-received film, a fairly well-known film, um, and fairly beloved. And it obviously follows a, a family whose little girl, Olive, played by Abigail Breslin, she, by happenstance, uh, gets to enter the Little Miss Sunshine pageant. And her family has to be there in two days. So this group of ragtag family members get on the road um, to go to this pageant to support Olive, who is not your typical toddlers and tiaras type of girl. Um, The characters are the dad who is trying to work on basically selling like pyramid scheme self-help books. Um... And then you have Tony Collette playing the mother, who actually is like the least interesting character. It's kind of a bummer because everyone kind of has like a thing. I was thinking for their about character. this too. Yeah. And Tony Collette does not have a thing. It's she's like just I was the mom. really stretching. I was like, well, she smokes. She's a divorcee. Like, so she's got like, is there like a commitment issue thing going on? There? I don't know. And I really like it was a stretch. Um, is she a divorcee? I didn't pick up on that at all. <laughs> Paul Dano is from a, a Paul Dano is from a different uh, marriage. Marriage. That's gotcha. like because Paul Dano. That's why Paul Dano has dark hair. That's why Alan Arkin doesn't know his name because he's Greg Kinnear's dad. He's like your name's Dwayne, right? Like he doesn't care about him. Um, gotcha. And that's Paul Dano at one point says like when he lists off why they suck, and he's like a divorcee, bankrupt, suicidal, like that kind of thing. So it's like gotcha. that's the thing though that is. 
hitting I just thought he her. wrote divorce because he heard them arguing through the wall. Sure. Law. But yeah. I, I see what you're saying. Uh, that's always been my assumption, given the fact that, you know, his, like, jet black hair, the fact that Alan Arkin kind of seems like he's never talked to him before, <laughs> you know? Right. And he has a more closer relationship with Olive because I think Olive is Greg Kinnear his- and Tony Collette's daughter. Yeah, that makes sense. But yeah, so yeah, you have the older brother, Dwayne, who is taking a vow of silence. He's very into philosophy, uh, very angsty, emo without being too emo. He wears white and not black, but still fairly emo. Mm -hmm. Um, Then, of course, you have the grandfather, played by Alan Arkin. It got him an Oscar win for Best Supporting Actor. Uh, He plays kind of like the junkie grandfather who's just like pretty open with his opinions and he doesn't mind telling you how he feels which Mm -hmm. is pretty cool and then you have tony collette's character she has a brother played by steve carell who recently tried to commit suicide and has to be on suicide watch so when the family all has to go to this pageant it's like a very contrived quick scene to be like well, we got to take the van. Oh, well, the mom doesn't know how to drive sticks, so the dad also has to go. But that, but the grandpa wants to go because he's coached Olive. But obviously, Dwayne and the uncle can't stay together by themselves because that's too much of a burden on Dwayne to watch the uncle for Suicide Watch. So everyone has to go together, and they're stuck in this tiny little VW van going to this pageant. And... I remember really enjoying this film uh, when I first saw it. I've probably seen it a good like four or five times. Uh, so not a whole lot, but a handful. And there are distinct moments within the film that I still find really touching and sweet. But I think there's a lot going on in this movie. And I feel like for all of these characters to have these revelations the way they have them all at the same time. Which, of course, is kind of, like, forced on you because they're forced to be together. So that's why they're having all of these revelations. Um, But I did find it to feel a little less genuine this time watching it. feel like I'm very surprised that it won Best Original Screenplay at the Oscars. I'm kind of shocked going back and watching it now. But there are still some really fun things happening in this movie. Yeah, yeah. I I think I agree with you on everything that you're saying. I think it's more just like not a deal breaker for me. I think the screenplay for this is really cool. Um, I think it's just very uh, digestible. Um, Yes. And can come across as like you're saying, like a little cheap, a little, um, you know, uh, coincidental on certain things. As far as screenplays go, it's like, yeah, as you're getting to your culmination, you need to kind of wrap all of the stuff up. And they kind of treat that by having specific things happen here and there. Um, I really like this movie for a completely different reason than most people do. Um, People are always kind of talking about Alan Arkin, obviously. Abigail Breslin, Brenson, Mm -hmm. Breslin, popping onto the scene. Great Paul Dano moments. Um, uh, Steve Carell, obviously. Uh, This is my favorite Greg Kinnear movie. I think Greg (laughs) Kinnear in this movie is so fucking good. I find his plotline to be the most interesting because I think that the 
the the the the spectaclelessness of it all that he's like I love his introduction of talking and speaking like you see at the beginning of all these movies about scholars and stuff with these big boards and you see he's kind of talking about some weird motivational pyramid scheme but he seems genuinely enthusiastic about it and then you cut to he's just talking to a bunch of people in some weird classroom nobody gives a shit um all the way up to I laugh my ass off Every time I watch Greg Kinnear's reactions to the performances at the end <laughs> as he's slowly learning what this actually is. And he's like, this is fucking weird because this shit is weird. Yes. Um, the ending of the movie is my favorite part. I, I think that everything else is well done, well written, well executed and well performed, all that stuff. The last like 15 minutes of this movie I love because I love that this movie has been revolving around going to this thing and we actually haven't seen any real thing of this thing up until now. And you are immediately reminded that this shit is fucking weird and that creep shows like James Franco motherfuckers do stuff like this. <laughs> and I love Greg Kinnear slowly figuring it out. While also simultaneously seeing that they're all treating this extremely, uh, like, serious. And he's like, there's no way that Olive is going to be able to do this. Um, and goes up there. And I love that everybody is like, we can't let her go out there. It'll destroy her. She's such a nice person. Uh, and then Greg Kinnear, on my last, like, the last thing on my Greg Kinnear thing is when he goes out there to get her off the stage... And even though I've seen the movie a bunch of times now, I know he's going to start dancing. It's just like when he starts dancing, it's just goosebumps. I'm just like, yes, this is the coolest thing because his arc is just so much more. There's so much more there. Tony Collette, like we've talked about, doesn't really have an arc. She just needs to she wants to support her daughter and she wants to bring the family together. I feel like that's kind of what she's the one character that needs to be the glue that's trying to keep everybody together and be a little bit more rational. And she's, she's got to break the car. Yeah. You know, that kind of stuff. But, uh, and Steve Carell is an amazing performance, especially at this stage in his career. People hadn't really seen that. Paul Dano's got that great colorblind scream scene, which is just like out of this world. Great. Um, I just love Greg Kinnear's trajectory in this movie. I think it's one of the coolest things. And I think it's so cool because the movie never really focuses in too much on it to make it his movie. He's top build. He's the biggest, you know, actor in the movie at that time. Um, but that's the thing I always am surprised and reminded by. I was like, oh, that's right. This is my favorite Greg Kinnear movie. So would you say that they are a better couple? They've learned to be a better couple. Then that... Dinner for Friends. Yeah. yeah, Dinner with Friends. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Dinner for Friends too. Great movie. Uh, really kind of surprised me with that one. Um, yeah. It is kind of neat to see, you know, I'm sure this will keep happening as we go into more Tony Collette stuff where she's going to be start being in bigger movies um, with bigger mm -hmm. actors that she might uh, have already been in movies with or is going to be in movies with again. Again, that's one of the really fun things about the series is like getting to kind of see like, oh, that's right. That happened. Yeah. Yeah. That pageant scene is definitely the best. So and good. I love that whatever uh, Miss California or Miss State of California is also really into Olive's performance. She's just like, fuck yeah. Yeah. This little girl is like bucking the system. Yeah. I and also like too, that the, the James Franco meme from uh, 
uh, Buster Scruggs the first time is technically from this movie first with the the dude the biker dad dude who's just like yeah. first time and he puts the earplugs back in. Yeah, yeah, it's really funny. Uh, something that I caught this time, which was cool, and I'm sure plenty of other people caught it too. It's not like I'm the only one, but the fact that they live in Albuquerque, yeah, and they're traveling to go to uh, obviously California, and uh, you have Brian Cranston playing the guy who was supposed to give Greg Kinnear his big break. Mm-hmm. And then you have Dean Norris yeah. playing a cop who pulls and them over. An amazing scene. And you're just scene. like, cool, breaking scene. bad people. Yeah. Like, the the Dean Norris fun. cop scene is just top notch. Like, that is just... Uh, it probably won the Academy Award for that scene alone. Because I'm like... <laughs> How does this end again? How the fuck are they going to get away with this? What is it? And it's like, oh, it's right. That's right. He sees the magazines. He's just like, yeah, I'm into this shit too, man. Don't worry. I'm not going to rat you out. And then sees the the gay magazine and is just like, I got to get the fuck out of here. It's like not the greatest politics, but also probably pretty realistic as far as the attitude and tone of this movie is going. Yeah, definitely. And Brian Cranston with that fucking wig. Insane. How Doesn't dare he look he? great? He does. <laughs> wink, he looks great. He wink. Looks good. <laughs> um, yeah, I will say this film, uh, it was the 79th Academy Awards. And really, this is one of the strongest Academy Awards memories that I remember. When I think about Academy Awards, I think about this particular year because of that dance troupe that I sent that video to mm-hmm. you of. Uh, my family and I lovingly refer to them as the rolling people they do tumble <laughs> they tumble a lot but yeah listeners if you haven't uh watched the videos from the 79th academy awards they have this awesome dance troupe called Polobolus, and they like formed all of these different movies and little miss sunshine was the first one that they did and they roll out on the stage and they you just see their shadow on like a scrim screen and yeah they just look like the the vw bus and they're just like running it's great and then they do it for multiple films that were uh nominated that year and it was also the year that marie antoinette won for costume design and nothing else like what a weird year for the academy awards yeah i'd seen those before they're really funny and i remember um uh ellen degeneres um who uh nothing wrong about her um, Who knows? Jury's out on that. Uh, has a great line where she's just like, "They're naked." Uh, about the <laughs> yeah. like at the end of the show because she had seen them backstage, and I just love. I, I was like, "Oh, that's a perfect joke to like kind of end this fantastic thing." That is funny. Uh, I also loved the way that costume design was presented at that Academy Awards. With yeah, they the used to groups. They used to roll that shit out. Like they used to yes. be like, "Yo, here's what's going on." I also love too that. Uh, Anne Hathaway and uh, an entirely different person looking Emily Blunt. Um, She's like Malibu tan Barbie. Yeah, it's insane. I'm like, they say Emily Blunt and I'm like, I know who Emily Blunt is. And then this other person comes out and I'm like, did I mishear the name or is there another Emily Blunt? And then I get a closer look at her and I'm like, oh, that's Emily Blunt. Okay, what's going on, Emily? What are you you up to? What are you doing? Um, Yeah, that was back in like the era where... People thought spray tan was yes, yeah, peak peak beauty. Before it was a presidential must have, it was all over <laughs> Emily Blunt at the Oscars in two thousand seven. 
Yes. Uh, I was going to say, um, Anne Hathaway and Emily Blunt, like not taking that gig seriously at all. Um, I was really, I was like, why are they laughing after every single, like they say like this person for this. They've got a line, which I know this stuff is primarily written for them. They've got a line about dream girls where it was like, it wasn't only difficult realizing how to dress the people who are on the stage in that era, but also the people of the streets. And then they laugh. They're like, <laughs> and I'm like, the fuck is that supposed to mean, you assholes? Who fucking wrote that? What the hell? What? You're making me feel like I'm racist for having a problem with that. Wait, what the hell do you mean by that? What are you talking about? People of the streets in Dreamgirls and Anne Hathaway and... Uh, fucking uh, crunchy granola Emily Blunt are just like <laughs> I don't know it was a really weird that one I was like I had not seen that I don't think and um, it, it felt like neither one of those actresses had ever had a female friend before right. and then they like made that movie together and they're like oh we're best friends now and so they kind of like went back to adolescence and they were like girls laughing at other people in the bathroom or something. Yeah, <laughs> it was weird. It's, it's fucking weird. And it's like, it's added to because like Emily Blunt looks like a different, she looks like, you know, like a, like a mint Kit Kat version of herself. Like, you know, where you're like, that's not the original. That's not what it's supposed to be. There's just something <laughs> off. It's like dark chocolate mint Kit Kat. I don't know. Which is so weird because she in looks the so Devil Wears fucking Prada, weird. She looks so she's fucking very weird. pale. She looks so fucking weird in that video. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I'm sorry to press on it too much. <laughs> Emily Blunt, though, fantastic uh, actor. Can't wait for The Quiet Place Part 2 to finally come out. She's going to rock the shit out of that. Yeah. I'm yeah. excited. And yeah, uh, Little Miss Sunshine also has a pretty excellent score. So Sure. Well done for that, too. Absolutely. You get that song, the... You can't take us. What is it? Who makes that? All things um, go. All things. Is, it's not yes. like Arcade Fire, but it's like one of them. It's one of yes. those things. We should know who sings that, but uh, who cares? I bet you Diana does. Um, Probably. She knows that shit. Yeah. <laughs> Little Miss... <laughs> <laughs> Little Miss Sunshine, cool anyway. movie. Uh, one of the first screenplay. I think it's pretty good. Um, it's a good movie. Uh, Tony Collette doesn't have a whole lot to do in it, so it's kind of one of the most uninteresting of this, even though it's like the most popular. Um, kind of sucks. Maybe in retrospect, this should have been the hours episode, but I feel just like she's got more to do in this. It's more well known. You know, mm -hmm. uh, just not a whole lot of Colette stuff in uh, Little episode. Miss Sunshine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and as I said, I hope the next episode is not nearly as sad. Because I just felt like this one was overwhelmingly sad. Mm, well, the next so. one, we're going to list off in a minute, right? Um, what we're going to yeah. do on the next one, because I don't even know. Because I try to not look forward. I know we have our list and stuff. I try to not mm -hmm. look forward... Um, too much. I already have ordered the ones that are not available and have them ready to go. Excellent. Uh, but I know that Mike um, Bird's I, I know doing the hard work, doing the good, doing the good stuff to be ahead. Um, but I do know that the next one is uh, primarily our United States of Terra episode, 
because we're going to be getting into that. So, and you've have seen you started? that. No, no. I try okay. not to start anything until after this one. And so with this one, because there's 36 episodes of TV, I'm pretty much going to start it like right away and yeah. get on into it. We're posting this one a little bit later than usual too, just because we had a lot of extra movies to kind of get to. We wanted to make sure we could cover them all. Yeah. 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 Do you want to go ahead and list off the, the United States of Terror episode? Uh, Sure. Let me pull that up here. Um, yeah. I I genuinely miss that show. I, I think about it often. Yeah. Because um, you caught it early, earlier. Yeah. Once we started this project, I, I was like, I'm just going to get into it. Uh, yeah. So next up, we are um, we've got all of these. So we're good to go. Next up, we are going to be doing um, Tsunami, The Aftermath, which is on HBO. Uh, Evening, Towelhead, The Black Balloon, Hey, Hey, It's Esther Blueberger, How to Lose Friends and Alienate People, Mary and Max, Jesus Henry Christ, all those movies, as well as the entirety of the United States of Terra. It is going to be fun it's a lot of content it's a lot of content but uh i know for a fact that a couple of these are a little bit more lighthearted, and we have the United a couple of animated yeah. films in here there's a nice that's that that episode's a good little mix um and then you know it, it looks like like kind of just like looking ahead on this real quick while i have this out here like yeah it's looking like uh it's it's evening out. It's it's tempering out. It looks like these two episodes that we got are kind of like the big buffers, like right in the middle. But we'll be fine. We're gonna be fine. It's gonna be. We're so gonna make much it through fun. this. Yeah. <laughs> well, is there anything that you would like to plug or promote specifically um, at the end of this episode? Uh, you know, it's uh, not really. Thank you to whoever's listening. If this is, you know around when it first posts in your content subscriber, we really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Um, tell your friends, tell your neighbors, tell your wives, everybody that, uh, we've got this. Your multiple wives. Yeah. Tell all your <laughs> wives, um, or husbands, significant others, domestic partners, dogs, cats, as long as the dogs and cats know how to set up a automatic $5 a month PayPal account. Um, <laughs> Tell them to do it as well. Uh, it's a lot of fun. And then if they also listen to it, then you get to talk to them about it. And we also make more money. It's a win-win. That's true. Yeah. All of those things are of equal importance. They must be. <laughs> Certainly. They have they to They must be. be. Yeah. Uh, I echo those sentiments. I also encourage you, if you enjoy this type of content, to follow us on Instagram as well as Twitter. On Instagram, we're at story underscore screen underscore beacon. On Twitter, we're at story underscore screen. Uh, you can follow us both of those places. We drop a lot of great content through those as well. Totally. And yeah, thank you so much for sticking with us and listening to this episode. Um, again, uh, highly recommend uh, these films and watching this Tony Collette content. Um, and yeah, if you are so interested in watching United States of Terror, I think that's probably going to be the bulk of what we talk about yeah. next time. Yeah, we'll so probably kind of jump through some out. of these guys real quick and uh, get to the show. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you, Burge, for joining me as always. Thank you for having me. This is always great. Oh. Excited. I am excited. <laughs> you're welcome. You're welcome. And listeners, we'll catch you next time.
Peace. Bye.